listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Come in, come in. Welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is Series 8, Episode 2. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now, this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. This episode's open mic superstar goes by the name of Female Gaze. That's at Talentless Yet Connected on Instagram. And this is their piece, Nasty Cyst. There's a carrier bag full of crisps in this bath. Storm Dudley was a spoilt little brat. Tensions are rising whenever we cross paths. I'm not mentioning any names, but they're no falafel wrap. You look thin, she said. Look at your thigh gap. Off home, I go to think about that. Stuff more food in my gullet for them. Them I don't even care about. Conflict is an Eastern European matter. It's of no interest to me. Putin can't let sleeping dogs lie, can he? But the difference between Putin and I is that I won't declare war. I'll just worry about what I'm having for tea instead of taking this bitch down. We are too quick these days to call a spade a spade, a narcissist, a nasty cyst, a toxic shade of slime. But I won't do it because I've met a real one. So I know the difference between a lemon and a lime. Both sour, but one is much smaller in size. To call her a narcissist would provide an excuse. Something I'm not prepared to do. Because she mentions my weight. Time and time again. This episode's featured guest is the downright lovely Demi Anta. I know, she's back. Our first returning poet, and what a scream it was too. We finally spoke in person, in a real-life pub, about Demi's wonderful collection, Small Machine, out on our pals, Right Bloody UK, lots of Berlin, and us hating our 20s chat, and a few doggos in the background. Enjoy. So, we're in deep East London, uh, and I'm with... <laughs> that uh, sounds so exciting. <laughs> so exciting. You're the first international poet that we ever had on and now you're breaking records all over the place because you're the first second timer yeah Demianta, how are you <laughs> i'm great jimmy how are you i'm good thank you it's um it's nice to meet you in person it's so nice yeah. it feels weirdly like we know each other i was thinking quite well yeah i was like oh i'm gonna see my mate today you yeah, know? yeah yeah i was that thinking was this my the way feeling, here. Yeah. it's gonna be like chatting to an old friend yeah definitely well it's been like two years that's wild yeah. i can't believe the first interview was two years ago yeah yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Was it snowing in Berlin when? Maybe, yeah. I'm we had sure like a weird freak snowstorm. I'm pretty sure um, you're talking about snow and someone on the balcony doing like a show opposite you. That was a separate thing. That was a sunny day. But yes, there was like a... <laughs> I don't know where I got snow There from. were all of those weird... No, no, no. There was a... Well, there's a poem in the book actually with snow. This strange pandemic snowstorm we had. So that did happen. But yeah, there was a weird um, a day when everyone in Prenzlauer Berg, which was my neighborhood, uh, got together and did like art pieces on their balconies. It was amazing. So yeah. I just saw the one 
that was directly across from me because I was probably home with coronavirus at the time. So we don't get anything like that in South London. Sorry. There's no art at all, really. It is like a very bougie, artsy neighbourhood. It is kind of, I guess, the hackney of of Berlin. Saying on the way here, we're in a hipster territory, but I am wearing like a print shirt. So Yes, very becoming. We're obviously here to speak about Small Machine. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, Amazing collection. Really enjoyed it. I was was always, I knew I was always going to like it because... Uh. Last time we talked, honestly, it sticks in my head as one of the like the best chats I've had with someone. Oh, it was so fun. I had such a nice time it as was, well. It was a long one as well. It was, yeah. It I mean, I can long. talk for ages. So. Goals, <laughs> that is what I need. Good. Um, I've had to change the format as well today because all the questions I usually ask poets, I've already asked you. Oh. So if anyone's listened to this one before the other one, yeah. go back. I think it was, what, series four? Yeah, it was pretty early. Yeah, Demi Anta, sort of 101, get to know how yeah. uh, you got into poetry and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you can see the full progression. And then listen <laughs> to Ferns. Yeah, yeah. And then listen to this the one, The whole I Right guess. Bloody UK yeah, timeline. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Small Machine, which is out on uh, Friends of the podcast, Right Bloody UK. Woo. Lots of our first chat, because I listened back to it today, mm-hmm. uh, parts of it to make sure I didn't ask the same stuff. <laughs> Lots of our first chat seemed to have uh, fed into Small Machine. Because mm-hmm. you were speaking about loads of things like uh, mental health, mm-hmm. uh, generational family ties, yeah. falling in and out of love, and 2018 and all the neggy mm-hmm. vibes that were the knocking about there for you. <laughs> um, if anyone hasn't read this or hasn't heard that first podcast, how would you describe this collection? So um, it's hard because I wrote the blurb on the back, so I, I'm trying not to just repeat what the blurb <laughs> says. Um, basically, it's about the five years that I spent living in Berlin, and I'm not from Berlin originally, as you will hear from my voice. I'm yep. also not from the UK originally. I'm, yep. I grew up in California. Um, but my family is Austrian and German, And my dad spent some time in Berlin in his sort of youth when he was 19 or so. And my grandfather, his dad, was born in Berlin. So we don't really have family there now. Um, But I went partially because of this family connection and partially because Berlin is all of the things that you sort of know it to be. Artsy city, very cool and sort of free and a bit hedonistic as well. And um, I wanted to experience something else outside of the U.S. So I went. I ended up really loving it and staying much longer than I anticipated. And that was from the age of 24 to 29, Mm. which I think for anyone is quite a rich time. But coupled with living abroad, my German is pretty good, but I'm not a native German speaker. Um, And I'm not a native German either. (laughs) There are quite severe cultural differences, uh, which uh, anyone who's probably tried to live there is very aware of. Um, So yeah, so it was a really intense period. And I think even though I was already 24, some people might not say that's like a coming of age story, but I felt that that's an appropriate way to classify it because it, it definitely felt like I grew up during that time and so the book is about that I yeah. think it's fair to say it's coming of age yeah when yeah. I was trying to sort of pinpoint what the themes were mm-hmm. young love falling in love moving abroad Berlin definitely but coming of age is, is yeah. one I had there and, and mental health as well yeah it's like I know poetry is always personal to the poet and mm-hmm. it's it is sort of a door into their world but with your poetry it, I do feel like it, we've literally got a viewing platform into your brain yeah definitely I, I work very personally so there's a term 
that I became familiar with in college, which is personal narrative. Mm. And most of my work, whether it's writing poems or other types of writing or filmmaking or et cetera, et cetera, visual art, um, all has to do with personal narrative for the most part. Um, so, yeah, so I, th I also have talked about this book as a kind of memoir of that mm. time. I yeah, think that's yeah. kind of fair to say as well, because it is so deeply personal about these ups and downs and sort of major changes and events of my life during yeah. that time. Yeah. And I refer back to my previous comments. Yeah. <laughs> the Ray Davis of poetry. Because, yeah. <laughs> because because you, you do, you are storytelling. It is your life. And I think that's, yeah. that's why I love it. I mean, uh, Lemoncello is one of the poems that I think, you know, yeah. that, that is a cool story. Like, Yeah. And that's really a, like one-to-one -one description of that night, yeah. basically, which is so vivid in my mind of... So I was, um, I did a reading not very far from there when I went, so we're jumping around now, but I was just on tour with the book. And the first day that I got into Berlin, I had a reading at Shakespeare and Sons, which is a favorite bookshop of mine. It's on Warschauerstrasse and Grunbergerstrasse in Friedrichshain. And basically I lived on, on this street, the cross street where this uh, bookshop and cafe is when I first moved there. So it already is kind of like a ripe place for yeah. me that's where I used to go every day because I didn't have internet in my first apartment so I'd go and like surf the internet trying to look for long-term apartments and um, just you know mooch off of their <laughs> uh, electricity basically <laughs> for many hours and so getting to do a reading there was amazing but that's also literally around the corner from where this friend that I call Lena in the poem um, lives and where we had this dinner yeah. so it was quite cool to go and I read the poem there as well and said like yeah it's around the corner here you can literally go and have a nice Italian meal you know it's such a good end line as well yeah like it never ends it never ends so yeah yeah you're, you're pretty good at ending poems oh it's, thank yeah, you I feel there's like there's a few that I picked up on that's funny because I think that's also a poem that sort of um, probably ends in like a dash or something like that and I I think since I was in college I did a lot of writing where it's sort of like I don't want to commit to the finality of yeah, like yeah, yeah. the period yeah. <laughs> punctuation you know um, so yeah I think there there's quite a bit like that but actually that's funny too because it comes back to this thing about coming of age and that line is very much about like growing up and learning mm. and this friend who's a little bit older than me saying you're always going to be feeling this way basically um and i think berlin is quite a city for that as yeah. well yeah when you when you went back to berlin and you were touring the book mm -hmm. that must have felt a bit like a homecoming gig oh uh, yeah it was yeah. yeah that's exactly it was yeah that's how i referred to it the whole time was like it's the home crowd where yeah, i yeah, know yeah. everyone you know or mostly everyone in the audiences and have all of these like close friends and smiling friendly faces yeah. so yeah that's it's really special there's kind of nothing like that i would say i mean the fact that you you've got a tour you had a tour and you've got a tour page on your website it's rock and roll, man. Uh, I keep saying, it's the new rock and roll. It is. It is. It's actually the old rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the, OG, the really yeah. old rock and roll. <laughs> so one of the things uh, I love in the book is, you know, your descriptions of, of young love and, like, the early years. So poems mm -hmm. like Pink Coat uh, and Yellow and Eyelashes. Because mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, the way you tell, it's like rose-tinted, but like mm. a nice rose-tinted when you when you do mm. poems and um, mm -hmm. the ribbons in pink coat mm -hmm. it kind of made me laugh as well because it's like fuck you you should have bought me those look it's an <laughs> Olympic sport now <laughs> so I really enjoyed yeah. that part of it 
but there's another part of it that obviously knowing you as I have done through the podcast I would yeah. say you are like one of the warmest smiley souls <laughs> in poetry <laughs> thank you but there's the, obviously the mental health stuff there's, yeah, there's yeah, some quite yeah. dark times in there and there's a quote I can't remember who said it on the back of your book mm-hmm. uh, where it, it said uh, sadness when you talk about it it's not sour or unwelcome yeah. and, and I think that's bang on like when you talk about these dark days and, and the mental health and uh, the, the helplines mm-hmm. that, that you used to ring mm-hmm. you're kind of matter of fact about it mm-hmm. and I don't think that takes anything away from it but there's like this acceptance almost that it happens mm. and we move and it, it doesn't make you don't make light of like the weight of those dark places yeah that's wow I don't even know what to say that because <laughs> I think that's so succinct and you've put it so well but yeah exactly like spot on I think um a good friend well one of my oldest friends also struggled a lot with um basically referring into the book there's a lot of mention of suicidal ideation Mm. and um okay i shouldn't say a lot of mention it comes up sometimes it's definitely not the whole book so it's not a super super heavy i think book but it does come up in a couple of poems and a friend of mine struggled with this a lot before i did and I think she said something to me along the lines of, once you feel that way, something changes in you. Because before that, you kind of can't sort of imagine what it is to feel that. And after, it's like you've opened some kind of door and now you know. And you can't unknow it either, even if you move on. I thought that that's a really powerful way to think about it. Because even when you get better and you recover and thankfully my mental well-being is in such a better state i think it's probably sort of the best it's been in a really long time um you know knock on wood it's really good um and i'm super grateful for that but um you still kind of carry that with you it's just like as you said like as a matter of fact thing this happened to Mm. me this is a part of my story and um it's not even really something that i necessarily would talk about that much anymore yeah um except that it is in the work and it is in my history i guess you know so at the time that i was going through it it was sort of like on my mind all the time and i was discussing it a lot and maybe doing more performances maybe reading those poems more um because it felt so present and sort of like working through something um but now it's more like yeah okay yeah this was this was part of my life and I think it's important to acknowledge um, particularly I think it's important because what helped to get me through it so much was being able to discuss it with people and especially friends and, and being able to ask for help for example and to say I'm struggling or I have struggled or I have a feeling I'm going to have a hard day because mm. this is going on you know um, and that kind of openness and that's what you know hotlines are all about that's what the kind of discussion around um in particular i think in this country and in ireland like be having more open discussions with men about yeah. mental health and suicide so it really is about being open and developing or finding those networks or support systems so that's why i think it's it is super important to to be open about and to be sort of transparent about if that makes sense for me at least i mean 2018 wasn't even that long ago in the grand scale of things but i feel like people do talk a lot more about mental health at school yeah we do a lot more about it with the students and and i think you know when when we were at school yeah nothing about that for sure i mean 
you know Tyson Fury, people like that in the mm-hmm. mainstream media are, are openly talking about it. Yeah. Um, but th- th- when you talk about the hotline, yeah, that that voice that you, that you talk about, mm-hmm. I think it might be in the acknowledgements as well. Like you, you thank the voice that definitely. It, yeah. It just, even reading the poems, it, it struck me as like a like a life raft. That voice. Like. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I remember that day. I only called once, mm. um, and this person who answered, I don't know. I, I don't know, somehow I feel like this is important. I don't know their gender, it wasn't clear yeah. at all, and they had this kind of, like, just lovely, ambiguous voice that was very <laughs> gentle, very kind, and it took me ages to figure out how to call because I was in Germany and I wanted to talk to an uh, English speaker. And so it was somewhere in the U.S., but I can't even remember now which exactly, like, how I got through to them. So, yeah, I don't know really anything about this person. Like, I can't even say, oh, yeah, it was Samaritans or something like yeah, that. Because yeah. um, I just don't remember. But, you know, they were simply there. It's not like they said anything to me that was groundbreaking. <laughs> they were really just there yeah. and patient when I felt like there was no one else that I could call. And, yeah, and coming back to, like, openness about talking about it and in school and everything, I think it's really good to have that awareness of, like, I don't know, it's tough because you don't want to sort of, um, it's a bit like a trigger warning, like you don't want to bring up these topics in the fear that, oh, now someone will be thinking about it or someone will have a hard time now because you brought it up. Um, But the thing is, I think you don't know if and when you might have an issue. And that was what struck me so much in that time or about my situation was, I had been in therapy about different things. I had sort of had anxiety on and on throughout my life. But I really, like, that depression, it really came kind of out of nowhere. Mm. And I never expected that I would feel that severely bad. Um, So I think it is important because you just don't know. I mean, I don't mean to sound scary, but you just don't know when, like, that will be you or someone you're close with. And, yeah, so I think it is good to just know like there are resources out there and there are people you can talk to and and that it's also not forever that's the biggest thing it's like it's it's not forever but like i said like because you're so such a warm bubbly sort of person on the poetry scene it was you know kind of surprising to read yeah yeah i think a really good positive thing that that you didn't shy away from those moments of that that period of your life yeah definitely so we've had a few right bloody Poets yeah, on, I think on, on you've had everyone pretty much, right? So far, yeah, I've got a full house yeah. so far. <laughs> uh, and obviously the process is something I had a little taste of the, the first yes. year and it's something that you've yes, gone through. Yes. I mean, your video banged. Thank you. All of I've got to say, all of your media stuff that you do <laughs> is banging. Thank you. Like your, Thank you. your Patreon video is class. Yes, yeah, so the Patreon video and the, that video were by the same director, yeah. who's I'll give her a shout out, Anna Fechtig, a good friend of mine in Berlin. Um, and yeah, poor Anna, I like dragged her out in the middle of the night on a really cold, miserable day when we both were like vaguely ill to mm. shoot this video at, you know, sunrise essentially. And um, yeah, she she bore with me <laughs> through. <laughs> I mean, hats off to Anna, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's class. Yeah, so this is the video for Did You Hear About Mom, which was part of the submission process for Right Bloody. I think, I think, I could be wrong. I didn't get to the end of I it. I did was read that it. The, yeah, yeah, I did read it on the podcast. Read. That's right. 
So the writing process for this, I mean, the obvious question is how many of these poems were already knocking about? Like, oh, so, like the, the one you just yeah, mentioned? that's a really good question. Um, quite a few of them. So, ah, you know what? I actually have, maybe I'll show you, maybe at the end I can show you. Um, I have my computer with me and I have sort of my like spreadsheets and stuff from when I was working yeah. on the book because one of the first things I did was make a long list of all of the poems that I knew I had already and kind of categorize them because I also had a lot of works in progress or mm. things that were like just ideas but weren't really fleshed out. Um, and then some things that were like super vague, like a title, and I thought, oh, this would be cool <laughs> for yeah, something. Yeah. Or, oh, I know it's about Berlin, so I would like to write about this aspect of Berlin or this aspect of leaving or something. Um, but a lot of them, I'm trying to think how many like at the beginning were there. Probably about 30 were written already. And every publisher works a little bit differently, but with Right Bloody, they asked us to submit a manuscript of 50 poems. Um, often for, for a full-length book, you're told to have between 50 and 100. Right. Uh, depends a bit on the length as well. So my book is actually like relatively, I don't know. It's, I mean, some collections are bigger, some are smaller, but it's sort of in the middle. And I think that's because even though it's 50 poems or around there, um, some of the poems are really long compared to, you know, yeah, one sure. one pagers, let's say. A hundred poems, that is a lot of poems. A hundred poems yeah. sounds wild to me. Yeah, I don't know if I'll yeah. ever write a hundred poems. I know, I know what you mean. Like when I see those kind of anthology, or not anthologies, but a collection of, mm. you know, selected works yeah, from yeah, one yeah, poet yeah. and they're like 300 pages. Yeah, yeah. I've got a full-time job, mate. It's, so. Yeah, that's it's wild. So... You had some poems, about 30. Probably, yeah, that's, yeah, I would guess I probably had 25 to 30 that were pretty much done. Maybe needed a bit of tweaking. Mm. And then I had maybe like 10 more that were sort of like halfway done. Yeah. Or I needed a lot of editing, but I knew that they were around. And then I had loads of other ideas. And I did write quite a, quite a bit of new poetry that's what towards I was, the end. That's what yeah. I was going to lead on to, because... I mean, I imagine if you've got a collection coming out, you suddenly yeah. print all these poems off and you're piecing them together. You pull out everything and, and because, go, what can work? Because <laughs> <laughs> yours is set in like the, the three sections. And it, I guess it yeah. kind of follows a, a linear sort of timeline. Sort of, were yeah. There, were there almost gaps where you, you thought, right, I need a poem to, to yeah, go in this, this section? Yeah, kind of. I actually didn't have the idea for the structure of the book until... Um, pretty late I think around the end of the year so I already knew that I would be I think I got the acceptance around September and then I came to London and then I was honestly very busy with school <laughs> so I didn't do a huge amount of work for the first couple of months on the book um, I would set aside like every Sunday I tried to work on it uh, and get poems edited or new poems written. But by the end of the year, then it was really crunch time of like, okay, I have basically a solid month to finish the manuscript. And that's when I think it finally clicked to me to separate into the sections. Because actually, I had a really big problem with the linearness of them. It's right. not really linear. And I think part of that is because, um, coming back to this topic, I think mental health and healing are not really linear. Mm. So, you know, you might have a really good period in your time, immediately a bad period, then another good period, and so on and so forth. You might have a relationship that, you know, you have this initial uh, 
breakup or heartache and then it kind of come back comes back to haunt you yeah. again yeah, 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 again yeah. and again even though time has passed and that might be months later or years later mm. or whatever so i felt that if i put it out completely linearly there wasn't really a a narrative that you could follow it would make sense you know yeah. if you knew the dates and things but in a way a lot of them also overlap with time so there's an aspect of looking back but kind of layering over the present as well in a lot of the poems so I always have trouble also with what tense to write in right, because yeah. there's something about like I'm thinking about this now but I'm thinking about this thing that happened I hate that when, in you, the when past, you write a poem yeah. and then halfway through you just no I don't like that tense yeah so no start, yeah. I really struggled and there were a couple where I had to completely change them and mm. just try both ways and kind of see what worked more so anyway coming back to this this is why I thought that the structuring into three sections would help me because I could at least structure them a bit more or group them thematically yeah which is what I did in the end um, and within those I tried to sort of build a bit of a linear narrative but they all also are sort of more like mood let's say you know I mean, yeah. aesthetically, the cover's amazing as Thank well. Thank you. You got the uh, you got the photography going on there. Are they your yeah, photos? they're my photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the photos inside are mine. Which I was a bit nervous that I would have to like really fight for them because I think sometimes there's a bit of like, wow, well, do you really need photos or illustrations or whatever? Or is it just kind of like gilding the lily? Um, but I felt that they were important. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I think with some of the topics of the poems as well, I thought that they actually were very relevant. Plus, I do have a degree in visual art <laughs> and I do love to take photos. So. They, are, they are very you. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would have been right without the photography. Great. Though. I'm very yeah. happy they to hear that. They definitely fit with the uh, aesthetic. Yeah, cool. So, you know, I always pick out more poems than I've got time to speak about. <laughs> so I'll read the list off. Wait, let's but then, stay. Then we can like stay until <laughs> closing yeah. time. And there's five that I'll probably... The, the five that I would sure. chat yeah. with you about. So, I mean, standout poems to me, I mentioned Pink Coat, mm -hmm. Yell Out I Love, 26, uh, In the Telling of It, Women's Work, Son of a Fish, Eyelashes, Clear, Did You Hear About Mom, Lemoncello, Is It T-Y? Ty. Ty, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and Small Machine. So out of those, I whittled it down to five <laughs> that I thought <laughs> I would bend, yeah, I, I'd bend your ear about. Okay. I'm going to start with uh, Women's Work. Okay, what, yeah. What an, what an incredible poem. Um, Thank you. I mean, admiration and like the maternal bond are mm -hmm. the two things I think that oozed out of it. Um, but for me, it was the it was the imagery. You know, the despite the weather, she makes things grow. Mm. I was just like, that is so good. <laughs> Carried debts like a wasp in her ear. Mm -hmm. I hate, and this is probably going to offend a lot of people. I hate people that click at spoken word gigs. Yeah, I would have clicked to that. <laughs> it was it's so good. And mother, my atlas, like yeah, it's just. It's so, so, so good. And oh, thanks, the, the, Jimmy. the end of that poem yeah. just felt like the last piece of a puzzle. Just, you know, when that's satisfying. Like, it just yeah, fits. it's quite a mic it's, drop yeah, moment yeah, as well. Sure, yeah. yeah, it's um, it's very satisfying yeah. to perform it too. Yeah. I wondered if you could talk about that poem. I love that poem. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it, that's an interesting one because it's funny. A couple of the poems that you mentioned, actually, this is one that they weren't necessarily... Like I have some poems that I really that really resonate with me, and I'm like, yes, I will read these at every event, let's say. Um, but women's work is not necessarily one of them. I think because I originally wrote it for a slam, where there was quite a specific uh, theme, mm. so I wrote it kind of new leaf, which is is wild actually. Like most people don't write new material <laughs> just <Yeah>. for a slam, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't have that much like new poetry at this time. 
And so I wrote three new pieces just for this one event, and they all ended up um, becoming like quite, yeah, pieces that I perform pretty regularly. So that was one of them. But I always thought of it kind of as a bit like, well, that's just like a slam piece, which maybe we talked about this, probably we did talk about it in the first um, episode we recorded. But, you know, slams are really cool, they're really important, they do get kind of, let's say, quote-unquote, normal people, like not just people who are already super into poetry, but people who might not have been that exposed to it, into coming and yeah. listening to people perform. Um, so it's a really cool, like, gate-opener in that way. But um, but they can be really cliche, they mm -hmm. can kind of follow a sort of pattern, and you usually just have three minutes, which means everything is kind of truncated and you don't really have time to go into like nuance, you know, you have to sort of hit all of the big emotional moments. Yeah, yeah. So I always feel a little bit like, oh, I don't know, is it really that... Um, yeah, is it that interesting of a piece of writing or is it more like the performance that carries it as well? That's always a tough thing also if you're more a spoken word poet that you have to kind of address then when it comes to putting something on the page for a book. Um, so yeah, I never felt that it carried as much weight until a lot of people started to say, actually, no, I love that piece. And I think it does just really touch on a lot of things that, you know, if you're thinking about your, about the mother figure mm. in your life, not that it necessarily has to be a mother, definitely like fathers can fulfill this role as well. Um, but yeah, that are just powerful things to commemorate, you know, the kind of sacrifices that your parents make for you. And um, so, yeah, it's a piece that I've kind of like grown to like more, I guess, with no, time and with like feedback. The imagery, yeah, as I said, yeah. it, just, it jumps off the page, which I think is why it makes Oh, it great. Good, I'm glad to hear. I got to perform it also. I was in Dublin on May 2nd, which is my mom's birthday. And so I felt a bit like a very I bad child. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so far away from home and I haven't seen her in ages. But I kind of dedicated the set to her and to like women in general, which yeah, yeah, went yeah. over super well. It was yeah. actually like a great gig. And I did this poem and people were like really into it. So that it was really nice to be able to do it then. In the telling of it yes. is, is the next part. I mean, yeah. there's got to be a story behind that one. Yeah, the, yeah, um, the, several. The, the storyteller <laughs> lion made me laugh quite a bit. Oh, yes. Uh, so, he's an actor I'll never learn. Yeah. Um, and the feline features, and then he turned out to be allergic to cats. Um, and I thought language easily grown quickly rotten was mm -hmm. another standout line mm, for me. thank you thank you yeah there that's another piece where there are like many threads joining together um in one poem but it starts with a real life incident where i was yeah. on a tinder date in berlin with um like quite a beautiful charming guy who was german but also I think like Icelandic or something like that but he spoke with like a very precise sort of very proper RP mm. English accent which was quite funny in English um, and we were having this like great date which was very like touchy and sort of felt like great chemistry and all this but then he said so many weird things <laughs> during the <laughs> during the date and it ended really weirdly too but yeah one of the things was that um like he was kind of well yeah so he was an actor which i knew already because i did some tinder detective work you know it was like actually really easy to figure out but he didn't know that i knew and then he when i asked what he did he didn't say that he was an actor he said that he's a 
storyteller gag yeah so yeah so bad so that was like one of several moments where i was like if you weren't so attractive i would maybe (laughs) find my time to exit now um he also had one of those weird you know like the kind of bowl haircuts yeah you have to be like really hot i think to pull that off and for people to be like accepting of it yes so just to give you a picture of this guy um, but yeah, the date went on. Um, I was desperate enough for it to go on. And then he, yeah, he said that he, I reminded him like of, of a cat. And then he said I was allergic, he was allergic to cats. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really weird. And then uh, he also, yeah, talked about, well, I think I brought up James Joyce. And I was like, well, if you're a storyteller, you definitely need to know about James Joyce. And he just didn't know yeah. his work because he didn't grow up, I guess, in an English-speaking country. But then said, oh, yeah, no, I think, no, Finnegan's Wake, that sounds really familiar. I think that I've read it, which is a big lull because, like, no one has read Finnegan's Wake. Probably not even Joyce has read Finnegan's Wake in its entirety. So, anyway, that was quite weird. And then the date just ended really weirdly with him um, bringing me to a club and then, like, ignoring me. And I don't know if he went to the bathroom to, like, do drugs, but he didn't invite me, which is, like, rude. That's bad (laughs) etiquette. And then I finally found him and was like, I kind of am ready to move on to a different place or go outside. And he was like, yeah, I realized I'm not ready to date, actually. And I was like, that's strange because we're on a date now. (laughs) And then I left and then I went and bought like a midlife crisis, actually two guitars (laughs) that weekend because I was really done with it. I didn't date for a long time after that. See, I knew there'd be a good story behind that. There is. Yeah, yeah. And if he's listening now, he's frantically looking for a copy of your book. Oh, my God, that guy. I actually saw him at an airport once as well, which was quite weird. Because I was coming from Dublin, and um, it probably was like a year later. And I had seen someone with that weird haircut and thought about that guy. And then I was kind of thinking, oh, I wonder what he's up to. And like, if I were to run into him, what... I don't know what the conversation would be because my life had kind of changed a lot in that year. That's when I started performing again. And um, and there's a lot in the book about how, like... So I used to be kind of a big, like, big into arts, performing, doing spoken word when I was in college, but then I had this long break. And so when I came to Berlin and was single for the first time in many years, I felt like no one really understood that I had something that I was really good at and that I was really into and I often felt like the poem clears about this that I I never really had a way to like access my power or to show actually that I have power as a woman or Mm -hmm. something Um, so that was something that I thought like how weird that I went on this date with this guy and he didn't know but you know now I'm in such a different part of my life or whatever and then I saw him at the airport when I landed in Berlin and it was really awkward I just tried to like walk really fast so we weren't so we didn't see each other and then we got into the train in the same part of the train oh. and just ignored each other for the entire so ride yeah. I, hate, I hate stuff like that yeah. I think I would die a little bit inside yeah. if someone described my hair as a weird haircut <laughs> so I'd be straight down just the barbers like, yeah just a strange kind of like I don't know. Not a, it's not a great look, I think. It's like the Elon Musk look at the moment that right. he's rocking, you know. I mean, a poem came out of it, yeah. so... Yeah, I know, yeah. You mentioned definitely. Clear, that that was the next one on my list. Yeah, Clear, yeah. Um, because it, it's very fun, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But there is 
a part of it, the end part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, before I get to the end part, sorry, the California bit made me laugh quite a lot <laughs> as well. Yeah. But the the end bit, there, there's a there's a vulnerability at the end, isn't there? And it, it reminded me. Yeah, of, it's know, meant to be like really sad. At yeah, the end. <laughs> it, it honestly reminded me of uh, Julia Roberts stood in a bookshop. Oh yeah. You know, I'm just a girl. Definitely. Uh, yeah, but talk about that. But we mentioned it briefly already. But it's a great yes, poem. Yes, it's one of my favorite poems, and it's one of the ones that is the most fun to perform. Though it's it doesn't. It's good on stage. Yeah, it doesn't work in every setting. Like, I probably wouldn't do that at a reading at a bookshop, for example, because it would just be a bit intense. All of the part that's in caps, I'm like really yelling, like really yelling at the end, and kind of, kind of like screaming, you know. And depending like how close I am to an audience, I'm in your face, like scaring you (laughs) at that moment. Like, it is meant to be totally cutting loose of all politeness and like decency and convention and like really breaking any barrier also with the audience um so it is quite an experience (laughs) to behold in person and that poem i wrote in 2018 as well after while i was like going through a very bad kind of toxic relationship with someone who also definitely did well he was an actor as well he also didn't um a storyteller there's a theme here he, yeah <laughs> and he really didn't appreciate me or my value i think um beyond being a girl he liked to sleep with sometimes but uh, so that was like this pure frustration like i wrote it in one night basically mm out of like fuck you you don't know anything about me and you've never bothered to ask like it's one of those people also that you know when you meet people and like they don't ask you any questions about yourself they just kind of talk about themselves or wait for you to like ask them yeah it's like really bad date territory but of course I was obsessed with him as well so I kind of like let it go on way too long but anyway so I was really frustrated and that poem just came out of this like anger I felt and like how do I um, assert myself also and and like he doesn't understand sort of what I'm capable of and all this stuff that you want to say but you find like impossible to say yeah and the funny thing about that piece is it's had quite a progression so I wrote it towards the end of 2018 I think I read it to like one friend who said, yeah, that's like, it made her laugh, but she's like, probably if you read it to people who don't know you, they would think that it, mm. that you're like a crazy person. So I was kind of scared to do it. And also I was quite shy. Like I hadn't quite found my legs yet again as a performer. Then the next, by the next spring, I think I tried it at a couple of open mics and I read it somewhere first, like it wasn't memorized and it got so many laughs and I was like, oh my God, okay, it is funny. Like, and that was such a powerful thing, you know, so I knew I'm onto something good. And then I think I managed to, I had it down by the time that I performed at Glastonbury in 2019. And then it became part of my sort of repertoire of poems. But it still was sort of like quite, you know, I didn't do it that often. Whereas this last tour, I performed it as often as I could. Because I think yeah. it is a really like fun, upbeat piece as well. And it's it's, it's one of my only pieces also that is like really funny. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go and perform and everybody feels like depressed at the end. You know, like I, especially at the moment now that I'm doing much better <laughs> mentally. Like yeah, yeah, I would yeah. like to come from a place of joy and like spread that so I've been doing it a lot 
And I think since starting acting school, which is the other new thing since we last spoke, um, I'm just a way better performer as well and much more confident. And so where it was maybe at like 50% of this level of, you know, what it could have been now, it's like 100% yeah. or close to that. Probably it could even still go further. So it's really fun to perform for me now. And I'm not like scared to do it anymore like I used to be. Um, and the other funny thing about it, I think it's just that like I used to introduce it a lot and kind of give a lot of this background information to give it context so mm. that people understood that I know that this is a character um, who's not really me, but sort of like a fantasy version yeah, of yeah, myself. Yeah. But now I don't necessarily need to give as much context. And I think I'm okay if people think like, whoa, that's a bit weird because it has such a payoff at the end. I was going to say, I think the end, yeah. the end is why you shouldn't be scared to do it because yeah. it, it sort of like balances the scales, Definitely, and it, it like really takes you on a ride yeah. throughout as well. And even if you didn't yeah. understand the humour in it, you'd get to the end and go, oh, that's why. That's, yeah, that's for why, sure. That's why for she's spouting sure. her mouth about yeah. this stuff. And I'm, yeah. al I'm also quite proud because um, the California bit, I think for me is also kind of the defining part of that piece. And the guy that uh, I've been dating recently also coined the phrase Demi California as the as this alter ego, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I find super delightful. So now usually I introduce it and I say like, so this is by my alter ego, Demi California. And I have to like access her a bit before I'm ready to perform, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's been really fun to do. Like I love performing it. And there's a there's a good video now, actually, if you want to see it that I recorded while I was on tour with Loud Poets in Edinburgh. Um, so they film all of their shows and they put it out. So if you're interested, yeah. you can watch it now. Check as it well. out. Yeah. I suggest people do because it, yeah. is, it is hilarious. The fourth of the five then is Thai. Yeah. Which, you know, possibly my favorite poem. Oh, in yeah. Could you relate to it? Yeah, massively, yeah. and there, there's there's this. He, he may well listen to this. He's the uh, deputy head of the school worker okay. called Webby, and he he loves loves the podcast. A so shout out to Webby. Aww. But he he, had, he has this, he's coined this phrase, and it creases me out every time. We'll be mm -hmm. talking about anything, mm -hmm. and just before he walks off like David Brent, just before he does, he goes, "There's a poem in that." Oh yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of that phrase oh. a little bit because <laughs> the, the way you were talking about you know everyday things that you didn't write poetry right, about. Yeah, but yeah. I think for me. The reason it, it hit home was, you know, it's, I found it to be a poem about acceptance of, you know, the end of a relationship and mm -hmm. kind of grieving the passing of a relationship, but but fondly is mm -hmm. that is that moment when the heartache sort of first numbs a little bit. It's like you know the, the sun sort of melting the snow yeah. off the mountains to reveal something yeah. substantial was there, but mm -hmm. you know it's it's not the mountain you want to be on anymore. Yeah, um, and that you can kind of accept it. There's like an acceptance yeah. and a sort of appreciation, I guess, of yeah. the past, even though it's done, which is bittersweet as well. So I'm guessing it was was that about one of these yeah. past relationships? Yeah, yeah, and actually, like I don't know. Um, well, for both for listeners and for you personally, if you ever saw, I have another video out of a of quite a long spoken word piece called "You and I," which is about the same. Yeah, we spoke about it. Do you? Yeah, do you remember that, yeah. it? It's yeah, it's amazing. Like totally captivating. Thank you, that video. thank you. Yeah. So that's not in the book, partially because. Um, I had I had worked out that performance like on you know on paper and kind of edited it and and did quite a bit of work to see if I could get it into into the book and ultimately I felt like one 
it's that was written I mean a lot of the poems were written long ago but that was about this very long formative relationship I had that ended years ago now and it felt so it was very present for me at the time and it was something it was a poem I performed a lot Mm. then like maybe for the next year I performed it quite a bit but I just didn't feel that much of a connection to it anymore and also I think there's a lot in that piece that's quite confronting both about me and about this person that I was in a relationship with and I felt kind of like I don't know I I did what I needed to do with that piece and worked something out maybe like it was very cathartic and it got a lot of responses like I think a lot of people who've been in a super serious relationship that then ends there's a kind of just a sadness and you know that even if you know it's for the best it's still there so a lot of people responded to it really positively and were you know like often it got a lot of tears on stage as well from me or from the audience Um, but yeah I felt like kind of that work was done and it was okay to set it aside now so that poem is not in the book but I think that the poem Ty which is also about the same person and same relationship um, said kind of the same things that were in that poem but in a more succinct way and in a way that I felt sort of like happier with like more content with yeah. if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I think yeah p- p- probably my favorite one because Aww. it spoke to me yeah a lot like uh, i suppose yeah. a couple of months ago that is definitely the stage i, I was at with an old relationship like, looking back and going yeah yeah shit but i can kind of appreciate the good yeah. things that happened there but yeah definitely. i love that poem. yeah last one that i'm going to grill you on then yes. is the uh title Small machine. Small machine and yeah. That last image is so so good. Oh, um, thank you. And it reminded me, if I can if I can shoehorn Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights into any <laughs> any conversation, I will. Love but the, the the last line about um, you know your heart being this small machine mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of the Heathcliff line. So much the worse for me that I am strong. You know mm-hmm. this kind of idea that life is all about walking forwards no matter mm-hmm. what, and this this fragile mm. thing because I think society program us to think that you know hearts can be broken and but you know calling it a small machine mm-hmm. it's not something you really hear much but you're right it is you know what's, what pumps the blood around us what keeps us going yeah so, yeah 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 great poem thank you yeah and the funny thing I mean this is very nerdy and sort of like we love nerdy um <laughs> I was joking with someone I met at a gig outside of Dublin who like figured out something about one of the poems and I was like, great, you can be the preeminent scholar of my work, you know, it's just like, if one day, yeah, if anybody should ever study <laughs> this book, you know, then the nerdy thing about it that I can say about the title is actually the title of the poem came from a different book, a uh, different poem originally, Fog Had Entered the Home. That's when I used this like phrase to describe a bee. Um, and the sound of the bee like stuck trying to get out of window basically and I thought yeah it is like a machine like this little thing that kind of keeps buzzing on and on and on like this repetition that only knows how to be how it is you know Um, and then the the poem Small Machine came later and it's not that I thought oh there has to be a poem that has that title but I was taking a flight from Berlin to London at the start of this year so in this last month that I was putting the collection together um, and it, it was quite emotional going back and um, it was actually really hard then to come back to London for a lot of reasons but I wrote it based on the that like getting onto the plane that morning and feeling really like fuck a lot of things are really difficult you know 
and I kind of don't know what this year will bring. But actually, that's really exciting because that's how I felt in uh, at the beginning of 2019 as well, like exactly around New Year's. Um, 2018 was the really difficult time, you know? And 2019, I remember really feeling this significant shift um, at the start of the year and like, uh, you know what? I think things are gonna be better. I don't know what's gonna happen, but then it was the most magical time because yeah. all of these things came up, like poetry related things that were completely unexpected. I wasn't planning for them at all, you know, like Glastonbury being probably the biggest one, starting to go to Ireland so much, um, get starting to get a lot of poems published suddenly. And so I, I got that same kind of jolt of excitement that I felt in that same year, sitting on the plane and thinking, Oh man, like I'm, I'm sad to leave behind this life that I knew, um, but I don't know what's gonna happen yeah, this year, yeah, and yeah. that's amazing. Like yeah. it's actually an amazing thing if you think about it to not know because it could be something like spectacular. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's really where the that poem then came from, and I think yeah, then it felt like appropriate. I remember talking to Fern about it and being like, is it weird if I have the same, you know? title like if I repeat the phrase she's like nah go no, for yeah. it you know um, but then I think also in general the reason I used it for the book title is because I just feel like like we we are machines moving through the world you know we are kind of small compared to everything when you like zoom out a city is a machine like you know moving through a city you're, you're like one cog in a big wheel in a big mechanism, making everything kind of work. Um, so I think it can apply to a lot of different things as a metaphor, which is why I also liked it, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's a great poem. Yeah. And a great title as well. Why do you think, obviously this is just all about the 20s, your mm -hmm. 20s, why do you think the 20s is such an arsehake of a decade? Because <laughs> a lot of people talk about, you know, when you get into your 30s, yeah. it's the promised land stuff. Yeah, that it, I mean, you can relax. Like late 20s was shit for me as well. And it seems yeah, to be a common theme. Man. It's funny because I've talked with lots of people about this and a load of people have said to me, yeah, 26 was like a terrible year or 27. Or like this time in particular is really a big moment of something shifting. And of course that might just be, be because I had that experience and I wrote about it. So then of course that draws out people's stories. So now that's like the story I hear. And for other people, it might be at a totally different time in yeah. their lives. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think because you are in this weird like liminal space between essentially still adolescence and like being a proper adult. And even if you have kind of achieved some of the things like the markers of adulthood, like you maybe you've gotten married, maybe you've even had children, maybe you have a house, have done all the kind of big things, you know that yeah, you're yeah. supposed to do quote unquote yeah. um, you still might have this moment of like fuck but actually was that right was that the right decision I think it's because life is still so long mm. and you still have so much time and you might think yeah but it's like that problem of you know Sylvia Plath and the fig tree and not knowing which fig you should yeah, take yeah. and maybe you've even made a decision and then you still don't know if it was right like my parents had loads of these things kind of sorted out by the time they were my age but then 
the things did not exactly go smoothly for them either, yeah. you know. So it's hard to ignore all of that and to like not have, I think, anxiety about it. What would you say the biggest lesson you learned in your twenties is? The biggest lesson, lesson I learned. Um, hmm. I think one of the biggest things is that you can plan until the cows come home. <laughs> you can plan everything in great detail yeah. and really have a clear idea of what you want to do in your life and it's not going to happen that yeah. way. And that is actually a very powerful thing to accept because it actually means like just do you. Like do the thing, go towards that goal. But actually other things will come up on the edges as you're making your way towards that goal that you just couldn't even dr have dreamt of. Yeah. You know, when you were 15, would you have thought there will be such a thing as like poetry podcasts yeah. and I yeah, will yeah, be yeah. chatting with poets and whatever. I will be a published poet. Yeah, yeah and that, yeah, yeah nice. this as well. Like, so there's like, so, there are so many things, you know, new career paths, new technology, new forms of art, f different freedom. There's just like a whole world outside of what I think you can even fathom for yourself. So don't be too stressed about like achieving the one thing that you think you're supposed to do, especially if you're an artist and you're very ambitious. Like I think I always had that kind of stress about that or also particularly about sort of being like a young artist, yeah, an yeah. up and coming yeah, artist. Yeah. Can I tell you something really funny, which is when I originally wrote the blurb for the book, I wrote, I was really cheeky and I wrote like the soaring debut from a promising young poet or something like that. And I just sent it to Fern, the publisher, and I was like, let me know what you think, you know, is that okay? And she was like, oh, how old are you again? And I was like, 30. And she was like, I'm sorry, babe, that's not young anymore. Wounder. <laughs> and Fern is also 30. She's yeah. our age as well. Um, so, yeah basically anyway you'll you might not necessarily do things when you're 22 and have that like success but that's okay like um it will come when it's meant to come and that's fine as well so i said i had to change the format a little bit so yeah my, yeah, yeah. My quick fire questions at the end of change okay so to uh, to wrap up the conversation yes my quick fire questions this time are one poem you'd still tinker about with given the chance from the collection oh um Okay, I think the main one, there are probably a couple, but the main one that stands out to mind is In London Far Away, I Carry You Around for Good Luck. So the title changed, that's why I don't have it exactly <laughs> memorized. And uh, yeah, it just was like a very late edition that I got feedback about from a couple of people, actually probably like three people that I really respect as poets, but I still feel like, oh man, I wish I'd had... That's the problem is like a lot of the earlier poems, I had so much time to workshop them aloud. I think this is amazing. Like David Sedaris, the American writer does this. He, he'll read his stories aloud and he tours a lot and he'll make notes with a pencil as he reads in front of people to see what works, like what's funny or not. Yeah. What do people actually respond to? And he edits that way. And I think a lot of the other work I had a chance to do that with because it was written over such a long period of time. Um, and the poems that were done just in the last year or the last few months, I didn't have that chance because I was busy in school. I wasn't going to open mics or open mics hadn't really started again because of the pandemics. 
Um, so there are a few things where I'm like, oh, I really wish I could have kind of workshopped that in front of an audience yeah, yeah. more. But, you know, I think there will always be stuff. Like, I have this feeling about it that maybe when I'm 50, I'll go back to the book and I'll just, like, rewrite parts of it yeah. for, for fun. But I can't really think about it now. Second the bridge version. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, poem you're proudest of in the collection. Oh, that's really hard. I thought it would be. <laughs> maybe, maybe clear, because I think I had such a, a kind of journey between writing it and then being brave enough to perform it. And yeah. I think it's really evolved a lot in the performance. So I do feel quite proud of that. Uh, and the last one, a poem, given what we've discussed about your media output, the poem that you'd make into a short film. Ooh, um, I actually have an idea for Clear as well. And I've had it for a really long time. And it's just like such a high production kind of value idea yeah. that I don't know when and if I would ever <laughs> have the chance to do it. But definitely I have uh, an idea for this. So uh, keep keep your eyes peeled for the DVD. Yes. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, what's next is, is the last, last thing. I mean, uh, you come back from tour, you've got the collection out. Yeah, yeah. The acting, on. I guess. The acting is next. So the nice thing, I had quite a tough time actually finishing the book and I was in acting school at the same time, which is anyone who's done a drama program is very intense. It really mm. consumes your life, basically. Um, and yeah, it was really hard to balance both things at the same time. I was I was a bit miserable then as well, I will say, um, understandably. So now that I don't have the kind of tour and the launch and everything hanging over my head because the last months I always knew like, oh, as soon as I finish this term, I have to leave and yeah. I'm going to be, you know, running around. And um, now that that's done, I'm actually really happy that I'll be here and just focused on school for a while and on performing because I really do want to learn more as an actor and um, develop those skills and hopefully like do more of that working in other people's projects not just my own yeah. um, so definitely acting will be a big thing uh, and as far as writing I don't know I have, I have loads of ideas I think an uh, area that I still really there are kind of two things which anywhere it's funny they're both so present in this book already but one strand is like I've started writing a bit about mothers and motherhood and right. I think part of it is I'm getting to an age well I'm now the age that my mom was when she had me yeah um, and you know super cliche but I feel like this kind of clock is now ticking a bit in my head of like, ah, oh, do you want kids? And when, when will you have them? Yeah. And what will you do? And it's sort of something that I went from like not thinking about it all to now like, oh, fuck, you know, how much time do I have? And, and how do I, how will I fit this into like my other <laughs> plans as yeah, a person? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm very interested in mothers and in, particularly in art, mothers who are artists, artists who are mothers, how they balance things and, and like, the kind of stories of women that are not told very often, which is what Did You Hear About Mom is really about as well. Um, so I've started writing a bit about that, but on the flip side, I'm also really trying to research more about Berlin around the time that my grandfather that was there and around the time that my father was there. Um, so if anybody has any leads, uh, about my dad is like the trickiest time because he was a soldier, um, 
stationed at Tempelhof when it was run by the American Army, essentially, or Air Force. He was in the Air Force uh, in the 70s. And I'm really interested in this time, but I just am not really that experienced with research, like deep research. Um, so that's kind of an area that I need to work on personally, I think. And that's the topic that I would really like to develop something yeah. around. Maybe some kind of theater show is what I'm sort of thinking at the moment. That'd be cool. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, um, I, I haven't mentioned it either. I was gutted I couldn't make your uh, launch at Little I'm, Nans. Little Nans is oh, a class. Yeah, it was well. so fun as well. It was such a fun See, night. That's, that's my neck of the woods, south of the water. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love Little we Nans. We had a great time. I, yeah. I, I haven't met Ian face to face either. Oh, so. Ian's so delightful. Yeah. We've, we're already like good pals. He now. was brilliant as well. I, yeah. I really got on with him. But yeah, I loved his interview with you as well. Like, I listened to that and similar to Fern. I was like, oh my god, I want to be friends with this person. Yeah, he, he was class. Um, yeah, I have to. I have to. I mean, I had a good excuse. I was in the studio with the vaccines. I don't oh know how, no! Don't know how that <laughs> happens? But I was like a kid in a candy shop. Yeah. Uh, but no, I have to get to a right bloody shindig at some point. Yeah. Day, well, I'm sure that there will be more. And anyway, yeah, there will definitely be more. And I have to say, I have to thank you as well because I think it's really because of listening to your interview with Fern, who's yeah. the founder of Right Bloody UK that I even found out about. I mean, I guess I must have been aware of them in the US because they are quite a big US-based publisher. And I had at least one of their books because mm. I'm a big Anis Mashkani fan and he's been with them for a long time. Um, so I definitely have one of those collections, yeah, but yeah. I just maybe didn't really know that much about like independent publishing there when I was, in, when I was still in California. So, yeah, listening to her interview with you was, like, really eye-opening. And also just, like I said, I heard her speak and I was like, I want to work with her. Yeah, she's wicked. She she's amazing, wicked. yeah. And it's been a really good process overall. And I mean, we haven't talked that much about, like, this side of things. But um, I'll say I also am really interested in maybe offering I don't know if like even it would be as formal as a workshop but maybe just some talks for people who are interested in how do you go about like developing a manuscript and the submission process and working through yeah, that because yeah. I think until you do it it's a bit of a like mystery so I would be very happy to talk about that and also like touring as a poet I think has been a really interesting experience and I've learned a lot from organizing it myself so I would bloody love to do that. Yeah, yeah I would love I'm to like very, share very more about it there. But, um, right, yeah. anyone that couldn't remember from last time, where, where can they find your work? Where oh, can they yes. Find the book? Um, very easily. Everything's through my website, which is D-E-M-I-A-N-T-E-R dot com. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> yes. Simple. And uh, I have the book in a link through there. Um, good to know, in case people are interested, if you buy the book directly from me, I make money right away. So please do that. But if, for whatever reason, uh, you can't do that, then there are other places to get it. I just won't see. <laughs> I won't see the funds immediately. So, yeah, that's a little bit like most people don't know about how this side of things works, let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, for example, if you're in the U.S., you can get the book cheaper from Barnes & Noble's online. <laughs> There's free shipping at the moment. So if that's the barrier for you, by all means, go and buy it there. Um, but if you can afford the little extra, then I'd be very happy to <laughs> <laughs> mail them to you myself. Um, yeah, so you can find everything there. I'm also on Instagram at Anter Demi and on Twitter at 
Demi answer. Just to make it confusing. Just to make it confusing. Yeah, yeah and I post loads of stuff. So I'm also on Patreon, actually. Yes, and I think, had I started it when we spoke before, probably I, just... I think... I don't know if we spoke about it, so yeah. maybe just afterwards, I think. Yeah, I started it, I think, around that time, because it was also during the first lockdown. And, yeah, I love it. Actually, I'm a Patreon ambassador now. That's a very new yeah. thing, so I'm um, repping them wherever I go. And it's very good. I will say lots of poets use it for their own yeah. work, as well as podcasts, actually. Loads of different artists can go on and um, make use of their platform. And I love it. I have a really nice community there. So come and join if you want to get postcards in the mail every month. And uh, when I was touring, I was also sending postcards from like Glasgow and Ireland and things like that. So yeah, it's very fun. Amazing. Well, it's been lovely to actually talk to you. Yes, you as well. Go and get yourself a copy of Small Machine. You won't regret it. It is (laughs) a wild ride. I would say that much. (laughs) I think it's about time. I give you... A bad, just Yay, oh my go. god, Jimmy. Podcast Guess bad. what I have for what, you. What have we got? We're exchanging. I have yeah. a small machine badge <laughs> for you. <laughs> Legend. Bad strop. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I should put Actually, that on I my, I um, a, my denim jacket. A bookmark for you as well. Oh, look at this. All the gifts. Thank I'm you very sure. much. Yeah. Honestly, it's been lovely to chat. Thank oh, you for coming on. Thank you for being lovely. so open. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Always very open when I chat to you. It's yeah, I am, in general, open. <laughs> <laughs> People's Poetry Podcast. Demi kindly recited a poem from Small Machine called Limoncello. Limoncello. Wait outside Lena's apartment on the wooden bench, reading. She arrives and loops her arm through mine as if we're sisters or lovers, as if it hasn't been over a year since we last. Round the corner for Italian, a small table inside. Lasagna is fine, though the conversation unfurls magnificent. Her triumphs, my woes. Bright lights we see in each other, dark nights of the soul. Waiters offer us limoncello, another and another, and I am having a conversation with myself in the bathroom. Do not drink any more. Return to find the candle burned low, goblet of wax. Lena gestures to the newly filled limoncello glass. Sip and laugh about magicians, actors, fires we've tried to tame, others we've had to coax out. Desire and contentment, she says, and go to England. At midnight, we embrace the waiters short of kissing their cheeks, turn and wave as we go arm in arm into the night, wanting to believe we'll see each other again soon. Tram home, my phone dead, eyes closed, dizzy head, leaning against the BBG yellow railing. Could life be better elsewhere? Could not close my eyes on the tube, could not slosh upstairs into an apartment of my own. No Lena to run into at the market, no free limoncello. Berlin's not far, I know. Head absolutely ringing with bells, chorus of droning. Should I be, should I become? Lie in bed feeling lost, feeling everything at once. I've learned so much just this year, I say to Lena over lasagna, swilling sauce. Can there still be so far to go? Lena shakes her halo of sunflower curls, her glow casting light about the room, and says, It never ends. It never ends. It never, ever ends. 
My thanks to the wonderful poets that featured this episode. A huge shout out to Charlie and Jake for all of the magical musical sounds you've heard throughout the podcast. Go and check out more of their work over on their Instagram at Charlie and Jake Music and on Twitter they're at Charlie and Jake too. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show. If you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. You are listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Poetry Podcast.